And whilst cultural Christianity has problems and does need challenged, the destruction of it is not something that Christians should advocate, celebrate or take part in. In fact, I would say it's the opposite. The most open group of people in the Western world to the gospel right now are cultural Christians. These are people who have an affinity for the things that Christianity has built and they don't like seeing it destroyed. Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. And one of my favorite things about ministry is getting to meet brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. Um, it's just a great reminder and reflection of the, the great body that we're a part of and all the ways that God is moving and equipping his saints uh, for his own kingdom purposes. And we're thrilled today to be joined by a brother in Christ in Northern Ireland, Pastor Jamie Bambrick is coming to us, and he recently shared some comments about cultural Christianity that I that I saw and I thought was really poignant. I thought it was a well-needed infusion of perspective and context that really helped shape a better understanding of what's going on, at least in much of the Western world. So I'm very honored to have Jamie joining us from Northern Ireland. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Great privilege to be with you. And yes, always also fun for me to meet uh, Christians from around the globe, uh, particularly from Oklahoma. That's always a that's a bonus. That's yep. There you go to all the Oklahomans listening. We are well represented on the at least on this podcast. So Jamie has he's serving as a an associate pastor at Hope Church in Craigavon. Okay, and he's been on staff at other churches across Northern Ireland. He's helped with church planning efforts across the island. So he's been in a few different seats in this role. But just to kick things off, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you've been up to? Sure, yeah. So, um, yeah, I grew up here in Northern Ireland, uh, which contextually and relevant for this is is sort of a fairly... Uh, I would describe it as kind of the Bible belt of the UK, so a fairly Christian area, hence the sort of affinity and love for for cultural Christianity, or at least the the non-rejection of it. Yeah, I've got a a wife and two sons. My wife is from Bulgaria. We met in Sweden, so very international. (laughs) And uh, we moved here, back here about 10 years ago, served in, as you say, a few different roles, so currently involved uh, as an associate pastor, the great church in uh, about 40 minutes outside of Belfast in Northern Ireland. And yeah, uh, enjoy that. Um, I've, I've seen a, a few different church scenes. And I think this uh, cultural engagement aspect is something that is a real challenge, not just for the church in America. And I know that, um, you know, a lot of the stuff we take in here, we listen a lot to American Christianity because you guys are, are, core to sort of the Christian world in general. America is is just a big player in that. And what happens there happens here in many ways. 
And uh, yeah, so 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 uh, really interested in that area and that topic. And I've started then a YouTube channel and uh, started posting some videos on Twitter, really to engage the culture from that kind of angle and bring biblical thinking and theology to uh, the cultural sphere. Well, that's great. And I'm glad that you're doing it. We need more content like that. As you're there serving today in Northern Ireland, you've had experience, like you said, in Sweden and other parts of Europe, and you're looking out at what's coming out of the United States and the West in general. I'm just always curious to hear people's different perspectives. What is the state of the church of biblical Christianity in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, the UK, and also how do you see it in the West, just as a big picture? Yeah, so so I think um, when it comes to sort of the decline of Christianity, the UK and Europe more broadly, uh, in terms of at least the cultural influence of Christianity, I actually think there's some positive signs, particularly in America, but the cultural influence of Christianity has really declined. And we're probably about a generation or two ahead of America in that regard in most of Europe, with some exceptions, of which I think Northern Ireland would be one. Um, The state of Christianity uh, and the churches is pretty weak is is the honest answer there there are uh, good uh, of course there's good churches there's wonderful faithful believers in all of these places but the general tone and tenor of the church would be that there is a, a liberal slide there's also i think because we've culturally moved on a little bit further there is a real tendency towards what you might describe as pietism which nothing wrong with being pious, obviously, but pietism would be withdrawing from the culture and saying we're not going to engage in that way. We're not going to engage with the culture um, as and as a way of. I think there's there's some good fundamental motives behind that. Sometimes people are trying to win people to the faith and and therefore, I, I think incorrectly think that we shouldn't engage in those areas. I think we very much should, but uh, yeah. So so I think the church has uh, in many ways liberalized a lot of them. Um, and and others have retreated where they're still fundamentally faithful. If you go and you dig about what they believe, you know they'll say, yeah, we're you know they're sound and, and and biblical, but not active in trying to bring that to bear or in any way trying to disciple the nation around them. So uh, and numerically, then the church is is broadly speaking much smaller per capita than America as well. So so there are fewer Christians slightly more liberal Christianity and broadly retreating would be a, a quick summary. Um, I think in the West, so if we include America then, what I am seeing now is that I think over the last couple of years, there has been, and I think COVID was part of this and probably other things as well, the, the sort of extreme uh, elements of say transgenderism and that gender ideology really pushing to an extreme way. I think Christians have started to wake up a little bit um, I particularly do see that in America. I think that's why we tune into you guys a lot. But it, but even here in the UK, there are some great figures out there who are say, speaking into these issues and taking them seriously. And there is a desire, I think, often more from in the pews than from the pulpits for Christians to speak out on this. And when people start to, uh, for instance, when I preach, I, I never get better feedback than when we talk about some of these cultural issues. It's very interesting. You would think those would be the ones that that people shy away from, but people actually are hungry for truth in that. And I think some leaders are starting to wake up to that reality. So broadly, there's lots of challenges, but a couple of good signs that things might be starting to turn and might be starting to change. 
Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people are waking up to the the problems around them. And I, I suspect one of the reasons you get better engagement when these topics come up is they're on point. Uh, this is where the flocks are being harassed and they're trying to make sense of that. And they're trying to also respond to that. And that's one of the purposes of conversations like this is so that we can give uh, sincere believers and even those who might just be kicking the tires of Christianity, but trying to gauge the faith. But we want to equip them to better understand their circumstances. That's going to allow them uh, to respond biblically rather than just react. And especially if anybody's been blindsided before, you know it's it's easy to react, and you don't always do so in a way that you look back and are proud of. Uh, but by having conversations like this and thinking through this a little bit more thoroughly, such as what you did on your examination of cultural Christianity, I just think there's nuggets of gold in there for, for Christians around the world to take away and, and just really process. Um, so with that, I'm going to cue up a little bit of this video that you produced. It's like, like Jamie said, it's available on YouTube. It's available on Twitter. And we're going to make sure to put links to those in our show notes so you can go and find it. And I would highly encourage you to go watch. It's only 11 minutes long, very well done. And it's funny. It's entertaining. I really enjoyed it. I think you will too. But just to help frame the discussion that we're having, I'm going to play the first one minute or so of that. So Christian leaders have been warning us for some time that one of the greatest threats facing the faith is the disgusting and reprehensible scourge, nay, abomination of cultural Christianity. I think Christians need to reframe that a lot of what is burning up is actually not genuinely held faith. Right. It's actually cultural Christianity. And so the death of cultural Christianity is, I think, very good news for the church. Cultural Christianity is burning up. That's, what, that's where we're at. Yeah. There, there is, it's burning up. All that's left is a resilient, like, super robust discipleship to Jesus. This is the thing which you see in the Bible Belt in the southern states, where people do terrible, terrible things like go to church and despise Christian morality. But is it really the major threat that it's being made out to be? And is the collapse of cultural Christianity going to lead to what we're told it's going to lead to, namely a more pure church and easier evangelism because non-Christians know who they are? Now, in case you couldn't tell from my sarcastic and hilarious intro. Hilarious. I don't think so. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay, so there it is. And again, this is an audio-only format uh, podcast, which one of the downsides of that is you don't get the richness of video like I just watched. So do go check this out. But we did see or listen to a montage of leaders um, discussing the downfall of cultural Christianity, in some ways celebrating and uh, applauding the demise of cultural Christianity. And Jamie's video goes on to just basically say, hold up, let's talk about this and let's think through this biblically. When you hear these things, when did you first start encountering this eagerness to see cultural Christianity burn? Maybe that's too strong of a term, but when did you first start to detect that this is off and I'm not sure that this is right? Yeah, so, I mean, I think that um, this has been assumed for probably a few decades, actually, in the church, which and, and there's a reason why it's been assumed and and I, th I think I can understand how you get there, which is that when you live in a culture that is Christian and, and has been Christianized, that one of the dangers, and it is a genuine danger, is that people presume themselves to be Christian by de by default there. You know, I am 
Texan, Northern Irish, Oklahoman, whatever it may be, and you know, uh, assume that therefore I'm a Christian. I go to church a couple of times, and so so I grew up hearing that in church as as kind of that was the default. And and it was just something that I, I don't remember like a specific message as such, but the in the ether, that was what was going on, was this warning of, do you know what, it'll be great when this all goes away. And, you know, I, I remember I was sitting in a in a theology class one time and they were talking about the persecuted uh, church and the great things that God is doing there, which I'm sure you're very aware of uh, with your ministry. But I remember someone saying, oh, we could do with a bit of that here. Perhaps we could do with a bit of that here. And at the time, that sounded smart and and sort of, oh, yeah, you know, and, and it sounds very spiritual. You know, yes, if, if this all goes away, we'll finally be the church that God's called us to be. Um, I think when I when I realized that I don't actually agree with that was um, well, probably the, the the starkest realization anyway, where it really crystallized for me was I moved to England to Cambridge uh, for a year, which is a, a very liberal part of England, uh, historically very Christian up until recently, but is now as liberal as you'll get pretty much. And realized that, do you know what, the idea that when a culture abandons Christianity, it's going to be easier to reach that culture is simply not correct. It just doesn't play out in reality. So that got me to dig into it a little bit further and say, right, is is there more to this? And, and what angle should we be taking as Christians when it comes to the culture and the direction of travel? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, one of the things we talk about when we engage with persecuted Christians or, or we prepare ourselves mentally and spiritually for pressures tomorrow is the idea that we don't necessarily go seeking persecution. We don't, we don't long for, for persecution. We don't eagerly chase down persecution. We don't seek to set up situations that result in persecution. If persecution comes, our job is to be faithful and to stand and to be witnesses for Christ and to endure, and good things come can come of that. God moves through all of these situations, and um, it's one of the beautiful aspects of how he's moving, how his kingdom is advancing. But we don't seek it out in the same way that I don't think we should seek out um, these problems coming. A lot of—when you see um, cultural Christianity being rolled up in areas— a lot of times that's being done through pretty nefarious and even evil ways. That's not something to celebrate. And that's an excellent point that you raised, too. There's this mindset that if only of this dissipates, it's going to be so much easier to reach other people because it'll be, it'll be more clear for them to see. Um, I've talked to many in missiology, many missionaries, who actually would describe, and you might have a, a great firsthand uh, account of this, but that in post-Christian societies, it's actually harder. They would rather be in a pre-Christian society where Christ isn't really known, and they have the opportunity just to engage him and introduce this. They feel like there might be fewer roadblocks in a post-Christian society, because in a post-Christian society, it's almost like they've been inoculated. They've heard of Christ. They've already written him off. They don't care. Um, so there's a sterile gap that people have to bridge, and it's very, very difficult. That's why a lot of people point to Europe as being one of the hardest areas to to share the gospel, because so many have heard about it, dismissed it, and they don't give it much of a second thought. Um, I don't know if that tracks with what you've seen, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think— um 
if, if anyone that's saying that in the United States it's going to get easier when cultural Christianity disappears, th- you're exactly right. They should look to Europe and go, oh yeah, how easy is church planting, evangelism, you know, reaching the lost in Europe? Uh, and they'll realize that no, that that doesn't play out. Um, you know, if you if you track that forward a couple of generations now. You could hypothetically make the case that, well, in the really long term, you know, you'll get this clarity and we'll eventually become pre-Christian again. And But what about the generations in between? What about all the people that are going to be lost? What about all the damage that's going to be done to a society that rejects not only the gospel, but the 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 law of God, the, the moral uh, standards of Christianity? What about the destruction that that brings in other areas as well as spiritually, um, th- this is not something that as Christians we should be, you know, sitting here and celebrating. This is something we should be working against actively. Uh, and you're you're right. I mean, there's a there's a truth to the fact that obviously God can do what He likes. He can use persecution, but as Christians, we're not supporting that. And neither should we support. Should we be supporting the ostracism and rejection of Christianity and the culture that just it doesn't track um, whatsoever? So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know I'd agree with that. Well, and I'll and I'll say this, um what one of the things you do very well in this video that I'm encouraging people to go and watch is you're balanced. You you show that there's different angles to this. There's there's things that are partially true and different assertions, and that's that's helpful. Um and I'll say in my own life, when I look back over it, you know, I was comfortable. I I was I guess you could say a very I was in comfortable Christianity as a young believer and some hardships did come my way and it in a sense kicked me out of my warm, cozy bed, but it was helpful. And I look back and I'm grateful for that. Um, but it's always measured. Um, I wouldn't wish people to go through horrific trials. God redeems, God moves, God turns the table on evil. Um, so I do think that there's benefits to even these pressures that we're talking about today um, it is waking us up. It will force us to exercise spiritual muscles that perhaps we weren't. Uh, and it, there's a severe mercy element of all of this. But I just did not hear many uh, perspectives like the one you offered that were suggesting there was more at play than just simply, yeah, this is a good thing. Let's just move on. We will return to the podcast momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe, that is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at christianemergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. One of the ways that you pointed out some of the the positive nuance of cultural Christianity is you shared a story of Richard Dawkins' assistant. 
Um, could you tell us a little bit about, I believe it's Josh Timonen? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yes, so Josh Timonen was Richard Do- was an assistant for Richard Dawkins, and he ran a bunch of stuff for his uh, website, helped set them up in the States. And, you know, so obviously a, a pretty committed intellectual atheist uh, left that work then and moved to Portland, Oregon, which is in the States anyway, as far as you can get from cultural Christianity, okay? If you're looking for, you know, the... Um, the most liberal place you can find. I think I described it in the video as they had months of peaceful protests uh, mm-hmm. during which they burned down mostly most of peaceful. the city. You know, <laughs> yeah, mostly peaceful protests uh, with lots of yeah petrol bombs and that kind of thing being it was thrown. the summer of love. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so it's, you know, it was a very liberal place and they realized pretty quickly they didn't want to live there. They had kids. And so they moved to Waco, Texas, which is, far end of the spectrum, pretty much as conservative as you can get. And uh, they realized when they got there, well, we need some community. We need some friends. Um, well, well, how do you make community in a place like that? You go to church, right? Because that's where people gather. That's how you make friends. So they started going along to a cowboy church, which I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, but yeah. That sounds amazing. I, I would love to go to a cowboy church one day. I think I'd look good in the hat. You need to visit um, Oklahoma. We, yeah, we got Right, yeah. Yeah. So uh, so he goes along to Cowboy Church, sits there. They're doing it really just to, and this is where it ties into cultural Christianity. They're doing it because that's what the culture does. And in order to, to make friends, that's what you need to do. But they, of course, they're sitting there in church, listening to the gospel being preached. And over time, their hearts soften and they come to faith. Uh, I just think that's an incredible idea that Richard Dawkins' assistant, this high intellectual atheist, gets saved in Cowboy Church. Like that is, that's God's sense of humor and a bit of divine sovereignty. You know, just, you can see it right there. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think that's a phenomenal story, but it shows in one story, and there are many other stories like this, that there is a, a potentially very healthy impact evangelistically for a culture, when a culture is Christianized, when a culture expects people to do things like go to church. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people, again, this has been a big meme and, and a big one that's been talked about here. People said things like, oh, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. And and there's a sense in which that's true. Like merely attending church by no means means that you are innately a Christian. Like I accept the premise, except that one of the things that happens when people go to church regularly is they actually are quite likely to become a Christian. They're hearing the gospel. So I think in the video later on, I said something like, uh, it's it's not so much that going to church is no more makes you a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's more like going to a place that takes humans and turns them into McDonald's hamburgers makes you a hamburger. It's like, it's not a guarantee, but your chances go way up when you go somewhere like that. Um, and so, yeah, that story I thought was a powerful story. There are many other stories of that ilk. And, and I even know some, you know, myself from people that have moved here from liberal liberal places and either come back to God or, you know, made a, a first time commitment to, to yeah. faith. It's, it's just something that happens when you get into that environment. Yeah, because you're, that story that you shared has a flip side. There's a flip side to that coin. And because you posed the question, how, or you've asked, how, you know, how many of us know somebody that grew up in a Christianized context, moved to a culturally liberal 
context, and they walked away from their faith. Uh, you pointed out, did cultural liberalism fail? No, it did its job. It, it placed people in an environment that was hostile to their faith, and and people walked. So, yeah, so Richard Dawkins' assistant goes to a place where the opposite is true. He has opportunities to hear the gospel, and eventually his heart softened, and he becomes a follower of Christ. So, I, you know, if you're a parent and you've got kids going off to university, hopefully you're thinking these thoughts. Um, if you're moving to different parts of the world, considering moving to different parts of, if you're in the United States and you're thinking about where to set up or where to take a job, I, I hope that you're processing all of this. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere. If you are in Portland, uh, God bless you, and we want to do anything we can to, to help strengthen your faith and stand with you and remind you that you're part of this global body that we're describing, but it is very different. I also appreciated one argument you made in your video. You essentially said if you wanted to go out, hypothetically, if you had the option and you could do this, if you wanted to create a secular nation, would you open up lots of churches? The, it almost answers itself. But it's, it flies in the face of so much of the celebration of the demise of cultural Christianity. You also point out that cultural Islam is effective because a lot of people may not be, you know, hardcore Islamic believers in those countries, but they are prone to go to mosque here and there. They are prone to eventually become Muslims. It's more conducive to becoming Muslims. So there, there is that effect to it. Yeah, you already pointed this out, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian but it sure does increase your chances of becoming one. Um, have you ever heard any effective counters to any of that? That if if you wanted this better Christian experience, this better opportunity to witness, that really it's better if all of the, the Christian aspects of culture is stripped away? Has anybody made that argument? So I think the best argument on the other side would be, and people take these examples from rapid church growth where there is persecution. And, and that can happen, right? So if you look at, I believe right now in terms of national church growth, so the, the amount of people becoming Christians in a nation, I believe the number one in the world is Iran, which is amazing and praise God. And God can do whatever he likes. China would be another great example, real persecution under Mao. And, you know, then, you know, really uh, an explosive church growth to, you know, some people are saying as much as 100 million from Roughly one, two, three million in 1949. So th that that is an argument. The problem with that argument, where that falls apart, is that you want to look at the normal means that God uses. God can do, as I said, He can do whatever He likes. There are dramatic revivals in those places, um, but those are more the exception than the norm. So you see plenty of other examples where there is real persecution of Christianity, that there is also a demise of Christianity in those places. And the great example of that would be the Korean Peninsula. So in North Korea, you had the communist uh, leadership take over complete and total eradication of, of Christianity from at least the governmental side. Very few actual Christians. South Korea became, you can say, much more culturally Christian. They became at least open to the gospel uh, politically and experienced a, an enormous revival. Many people think the megachurch movement is, is a, an American thing. I think you could actually possibly trace the origins of that to South Korea. For good or for bad, I know people have different perspectives on it, but there's certainly a lot of Christians there. 
Um, so, so I would say that that is the counter argument, but God often uses means that make a lot of sense as well. He, he's he's very able to do that. One of the problems I see is that that people think that if you become a Christian because you went somewhere that was more Christian, that that's not real faith. That that's that that you're somehow insincere in that. I don't believe that at all. I think that if you believe in the providence of God, if you believe that God actually it puts people in places for a reason, then very often he's going to use that to draw people to himself. So a similar example would be uh, the family that he puts you in. If you grew up in a Christian family, you are much more likely to be a Christian. Now, do we say that that's insincere faith or do we say that, no, that is the very normal means that God uses. And actually God's desire for people in those families is that they would go on to have that faith. You know, on this on this podcast, we have discussed issues of like the church in Iran, the church experience in China. And in many ways, those are just amazing moves of God that even the missionaries, we've talked with the missionaries who were on the grounds when they were kicked out in 79 in Tehran, we've talked to those that have been that were in China and assumed that this small baby church would be would shrivel on the vine and yet God moved and exploded that network. Um, but it is a supernatural move and in many ways I see it as God's sovereignty over the worst plans of man. Uh, this, those systems that were put in place on people, in, in those countries was horrific, and yet God sovereignly moved and flipped the script in there. But that wasn't always, that's not always normal. Another podcast took a look at why did the, why did the experience of Christians under the Soviet Union differ so much from the experience of Christians under Chinese communism? So it's, we can't be formulaic. We can't be simplistic in our thinking in this. A lot of times we like to quote Tertullian, who said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And in many respects it is, but there's other aspects that we can look to and be like, wow, he, he wrote that in North Africa, in Christian North Africa, and that was all eviscerated. Um, that was gone very quickly, historically speaking. So we do need to be savvy to these things and thinking through it like we described. One of the things I also appreciate about your video is you don't just marshal a story and a good argument or two. But you also bring to, to bear data. You look at some data and you point out that if the idea that cultural Christianity is a threat to sincere faith is true, then we would expect that in places that reject cultural Christianity, we would see significant salvations in church growth. And you point out, is that what we see? It's not. It's not. It's, it appears that in the most liberal areas where cultural Christianity has really disappeared, we see low church attendance. We see very low cultural Christianity and very low actual Christianity. Could you speak to that some? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so I used for that, I looked at essentially um, church attendance by state. America's great because you guys have all the data. You're just so big that people actually run the numbers on things. So it's a very useful test case. So anytime where I'm, I'm looking for data on these things, can't really find it in Europe. So we go to the States. So you look at the top 10 states for church attendance, and they're all red states. So now, uh, to be to be clear, um, 
and I do point this out in the video, the Republican Party is not Christianity. And there are real issues there. We're not saying that those are synonymous. But I think what we can say is that the platform of the Democratic Party in the States is a very clear rejection of cultural Christianity and any sort of Christian morality, really on any, on any level. And we'll not get into all of that. But, you know, if if it's transing the kids and communism, it's not very Christian, right? We can, I think we can say that. Yeah. And um, so, so if you look at those states that are, that have high church attendance, they tend to have high cultural Christianity. You look at the states, so the bottom 10 states for church attendance, they're all blue. They're all democratic states. So they've all rejected cultural Christianity, except for one, Wisconsin, which is a swing state. Um, and, uh, and the top ten in uh, for for attendance are are all red. So we definitely don't see when we look at the numbers. And again, you want you want to you want to push this further. See what it looks like down the road. Well, look at the church attendance in Europe versus the church attendance in America. So the cultural Christianity is has disappeared more in Europe, and church attendance numbers are way lower in Europe, broadly speaking. So uh, yeah, that's there's there's good data to back that up. I also know this on a, on a personal level. So between uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, there is a very clear uh, cultural difference. Um, the The Republic of Ireland has the fewest evangelicals of any nation in the English speaking world. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's uh, about 1.5% evangelical in the Republic. Maybe a lot of Catholics, different topic, but you know, the, when it comes to evangelicalism, it's very low. And about half of those evangelicals are immigrants. Uh, Northern Ireland has about you know, well, fifty percent of people call themselves Protestants. But you know, about fifty percent of those who call themselves Protestants, or sorry, of that fifty percent, about thirty-five percent of them go to church pretty regularly. So that's a, that's a big difference. I know from people that are running churches, planting churches on both sides of that border, the easiest place to reach people. And where you're going to see that burgeoning Christianity is actually up here. The chances of God, you know, of God bringing people to faith, it's happening in those places. So, yeah, the data definitely doesn't lend any credence to the idea that there's going to be automatically some great revival when that cultural Christianity disappears. Yeah. And another point that you made that I think flies in the face of some of the presumptions and the the camp that's celebrating the end of cultural Christianity is actually the quality of Christianity in those areas. You point out that the quality of Christianity seems to be the reverse of what their theories would project, and that is that the quality is higher in culturally Christian areas. They're going, they're sitting, sometimes they're hearing the gospel, and they end up really being discipled and growing in spiritual maturity um, so you're developing these spiritually mature believers. And like you said, you, you know, there are anomalies out there where high persecution was met uh, by a fresh move of the Spirit, and the church grows. But almost, And this might make sense to people that are looking at missions and, and penetrating new cultures, but you pointed out that the, the more culturally Christian in an area, the easier it is to reach the people with the gospel— which is interesting because you're almost framing it as like people groups. We're trying to reach people groups with the gospel, and those people groups are around us, even in certain areas. In our own, we think of that overseas. We think of that as international missions. But when we start thinking about people groups in, as our neighbors and in our midst, those that we have an opportunity to really reach are, are there. 
Um, so we don't nece- we don't want to eliminate that environment where they where they are. So that's that's an interesting twist too that I appreciated. What advice would you give um, to to people that are listening to this podcast, people that are just attending their their local churches? What could they do to spiritually ground themselves in the face of this uh, demise of cultural Christianity? Or I, I like to think of it as when we look at the global body, these local churches are cells, cells of the body. How can we make more healthy cells for the global body? Has your research, has your inquiries into these matters surfaced anything that you would share with them? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that we need to do um, in a culture which is rejecting Christianity or starting to reject that, or even to ward that off, right? Let's say you're in a very Christian culture, but to ensure that that doesn't happen is we need to think about how scripture applies to culture. One of the number one reasons, I I believe uh, I read a study on this, I think the number one reason why young people today are rejecting Christianity is issues of sexuality. Uh, that's that's my understanding anyway. And if you anecdotally that bears out, I know people that have gone, yeah, I, I can't accept Christianity because of of you know stances on same sex attraction, marriage, uh, all those kind of things, transgenderism, the whole gambit, right? Um, and so Christians, if they want to survive that, what we can't do, and this is the real danger, and I mentioned it early on is what we can't do is simply withdraw and say we're going to have our nice little bible study where we you know talk about the the greek behind this and don't get me wrong we need to do good healthy bible study but we're not actually going to look at how that applies to anything that's going on in our world because if we do that if we make that sort of um sacred secular distinction we say well that's something that has nothing to do with the church then we get blindsided by those issues we don't have a response to those issues we're not able to particularly when it comes to kids that's going to be an enormous issue i think americans are ahead of the game on that in terms of things like homeschooling and christian schools we don't have a lot of that here it's a big challenge um we we actually really need to unpack these issues really well biblically um, rather than shy away from them, shying away from them is going to leave you yourself vulnerable um, to to deception in these areas, to being swayed. Uh, and particularly, it's going to be a real challenge. A lot, there's a number of Christians, you get to a certain age, you can live off momentum, you know, where you're not really going to change because that's been how you've grown up. And you just go, yeah, I'm not dealing with that. But young people coming in behind, this is a massive, massive um, attack on them as well. So I think that that is probably the number one. I think that the, yeah, the real, the real danger that I see is churches going, we're not touching it. And, and I understand, I mean, again, so to, because, because I've seen, I've seen this play out. They say they're not touching it in order to reach the lost. That's, that's the, and I, and I, and I believe that that's at least mostly true and sincere. I'm not going to call them liars for saying that. They're incorrect, though, badly incorrect, because when, we, you know, the the um, the call for us when it comes to reaching the lost is not to adapt the Bible or adapt the gospel in order to accommodate the sins of today. It's actually, no, like everybody, we've all got to take up our cross, repent of our sins, come to faith in Jesus. 
Um, so, so I think that, yeah, we got to deal with the cultural things. I, I think it's interesting when you put it in terms as well, and this, this relates to, to what I've just said. We need to think about the gospel in terms of not merely personal faith, although very much personal faith as, as the core, but it is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the rule of Jesus, his blessing and his commandments that, you know, Jesus went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom, right? And there's something about when a body of people actually does that and, and lives out those commandments uh, in in whatever society they're in, but is, is actively building the kingdom of God. So not just looking at personal salvation, but saying, actually, no, we, we want to follow all of what Jesus says. We want to obey him. And here's what uh, a, a church looks like, or here's what a society looks like when people do that, that actually can lead them into that personal faith. So I, I think that's part of why this cultural Christianity uh, where, where that does exist. I think that's part of why it's effective. It's because there is a broad public demonstration of what the kingdom of God looks like. P people are agreeing that, yes, this is God's standard, like the Ten Commandments actually matter and we should live accordingly. And when we do that, what do we see? Well, we see that this king is good, right? We see that his, we built the entirety of Western civilization essentially off the back of people trying to establish and build the kingdom of God. So, so yeah, I think that um, we have to address these issues uh, culturally and we have to live them out. We have to do it very openly and say that this is what the kingdom looks like. And when we do that, I think we both not only protect ourselves, I think that's why we end up reaching people effectively because we're showing, we're, sh we're demonstrating the gospel, we're teaching the gospel uh, and showing the distinction between a world where people are not in the kingdom of God and they they see how empty it is and it's so you know completely bankrupt in every way and it leads to to self-immolation and, and destruction of relationships and then in the midst of that you could actually have a church where they're not just shying away and going oh we're gonna you know not touch that no we're actually gonna go counter that and you're gonna see the fruit of it in our midst yeah it does allow people to see the different types of fruits so that was very well said. I appreciate you unpacking all of that. I think you're right. There is a danger in not only individuals trying to compartmentalize our faith. We're going to be, we'll do the church thing on Sunday, and then when we're at work, we'll do something else. We'll, we'll do whatever we have to do. Same is true of churches. It may be comforting to, to duck some of the challenges that are confronting the church, uh, confronting the flocks, the people in the pews when they have to go to work. Um, but really, they need to speak comprehensively how the principles of the kingdom apply. It applies to everything that we see, everything we do. It is our faith. It is how we live our lives. And and there's also just so many teaching moments. So when we get hit with other issues as they crop up, as we're confronted with it, we have the opportunity to examine them and engage and teach. This is how you know we need to do it as parents with our kids. We can't prevent them from being exposed to some of the things going on around us, but when they happen— we can re we can take claim of that and just say, okay, I saw what happened. You saw what happened. Let me explain. And this is why maybe we shouldn't do this as Christians, or maybe this is how as Christians we should respond. So very critical point that we have an obligation, a stewardship obligation to the next generation as parents, as grandparents, as people in the pews, as churches, as, as fellowships, 
uh, we have this responsibility, and we're not doing anybody any favors uh, by ducking unpleasant fights. I was I was in conversation with a pastor, and uh, I'll, I'll give more details. But uh, this pastor had had a real challenge in his church when it came to the whole uh, BLM critical race theory thing, and he knew what the right stance on this stuff was. He he did. Um, but he had never tackled issues uh, of of any sort. So, so you know, in any of their church, you know, welcome to our church class and that kind of thing. Never touched. And I'm not talking about critical race theory and that because that would have been unusual. But let's say sexuality, some of those more you know prevalent ones where you might actually need to say something fairly early on. And uh, so, so when when everything happened with George Floyd again, everything that happens in America. America sneezes and the rest of the world gets a cold. Um, so that all came to the UK. And he knew what the right stance was, but he said, look, if we say anything on this, 90% of our people will leave. I, I just thought that's that's an astounding failure of discipleship to to be at that place where people can, um, and, and I think many of them are, are Christians. Like you can be wrong on that issue and be a Christian, but you you are in danger. And if you're wrong on that issue, these things are linked because there's an underlying ideology there, um, in in terms of of sort of uh, neo Marxism and all of that kind of stuff. Um, if if we if we don't then if we don't actually talk about it relatively early, relatively frequently you know, because it's getting talked about a lot in the world, then it gets to the point where you actually can't talk about it because what you win people with is what you win them to. So if they come in thinking that, oh, you can do whatever you like and you can accept all of the world's ideas and concepts and all of these issues, then in order for them to stay, and let's be practical for you to pay your church staff, for you to run your ministry, all of the stuff that you now have an obligation to do and feel, you know, there's a reason why people want to keep people there. They're not happy with 90% of people leaving. I get that. But if if, if you haven't done it early on, it becomes way harder to do it later. You're actually far, it's a much easier conversation early on than it is later. That's a fascinating point that you shared, Jamie. Um, you know, we've pointed out that and some of the house church networks in China, um, they've learned that they have to advance the discipleship that they do regarding persecution. They found that if they had somebody become a believer, uh, they have a euphoric experience. They think that everything's going to be wonderful and beautiful, and they're so excited to follow Jesus Christ. And the moment severe persecution hit really bad, they were just shell-shocked. They didn't know how to process it. And it led to some real problems, and in some cases, people would just drift away or be so intimidated that they would clam up. Um, so they realized, we got to attack this early. So it was like the second discipleship lesson that these new believers would receive would be on persecution. Here's what's going to happen. Here, here's what the Bible says about that, and here's what we as believers can— And once the persecution hit, they were expecting it. It was par for the course, and they weren't shaken. They knew it. So the point that you're raising is that we need to be willing to disciple early on in these issues, these attacks that are coming against the church in many parts of the world today. It it seems to echo elements of that. We have to address this early. And here's a message also to anybody that's listening to this that might be a pastor, you might be a Christian leader, um, maybe you're looking back and you're you're not sure you handle things exactly the same way. 
well, there's a lot of grace, there's a lot of uh, compassion in the church, and there's this wonderful opportunity to take corrective actions. Um, we can be gracious in how we do that, but we can change the course of our churches, of our ministries. And um, I would just encourage you as you pray through that and process that, uh, that you would do that. And it might cost you. We, this is a costly faith, and maybe some people do walk away. Maybe some people walk, but as they consider the fruit that they see in the world compared to the fruit that they see in your congregation, maybe they double back. God moves in surprising ways. So interesting points that you're, that you're raising, um, Jamie, and I appreciate it. As we start to wrap up, is there anything that you would like to share with our audience that we haven't already touched on? Good question. I, I, do you know what? Here's, here's what I would say. I would say that there is um, real hope for the church. I, I think that one of the real dangers of Christians as they see the culture getting darker is that we sort of take the black pill and, uh, you know, for want of a better term, where we get morbid um, and uh, eschatology plays into this. I know people have different views, but I think that whatever your eschatological position is, so your end times position is, um, there should be hope at the very core. The Christian position is hope. Um, the, the, the message of the gospel is in many ways about the victory of Jesus. Um, that There is he has overcome, he has already conquered sin and death and hell. And I think it is much easier to fight when you believe that you can, in fact, win. Mm. I think that a Christianity that says, do you know what, we're we're going to uh, do our best, but we will, you know, uh, fail. It becomes very hard to sort of see why you're doing it. Um, whereas I think if you say, do you know what, there's actually a possibility for a real turnaround here, uh, a genuine lasting turnaround that where we see some of these great powers and principalities and ideologies get completely crushed. And it, it may be that part of the way that that happens is they're allowed to play out and we see the fruit of that. Um, but it could also be that the church actually has a victory even even earlier than that, that actually we we take on some of these arguments and that people in the world start to see that no, like, as, as Peter said, you have the words of life. You know, there's there's truth here. I, I think it's it's been interesting to see the success of some of the recent cultural pushback. I think it's sad to see that not a lot of it has been from the church. Um, some of it has, but actually the church has, we have the truth on this. Like we, we the Bible has, is, uh, uh, you know, it gives us everything that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So for the, the season we're in, we actually can win this battle. And and I think we can win it now. I think we can win it. You know, I, I'm not sitting there being all morbid about the future. I have very real concerns about the short term future. Um, don't get me wrong. Like it's, I'm not doing that blindly, but at the same time, you know, if the church actually rises up and says, do you know what, we're going to take these things on, we're going to take on the idols of our day openly, um, and and we're not going to worry too much about our reputation in the meantime, victory is very possible because there are a lot of people out there, and, and I think it is a lot of those cultural Christians who they recognize that something is wrong. They don't have language for it. They don't know why it's wrong. And they don't know where how to ground themselves in truth. And, and where does this morality that I recognize, where does that come from? 
those are the people that we can really reach and could really reach right now. Like they are an open door. I, I've had multiple people who are, would would be would lean conservative and have some of that cultural faith, but would not really have been Christians. Uh, and in engaging with these topics, they have actually made a, either either a significant move towards faith or have genuinely become Christians through it. So so yeah, if we are willing to fight. I think we can win, and I think we should have hope. Uh, even in, even at this point, I don't think there's any point in us sitting there wringing our hands and saying, you know, it's done and let it burn and let's all clear off to, you know, South America or Africa where Christianity's growing. And you know, no, we could we could win here and we could win now. We could. What an encouraging theme to close on, and that's so true. We we do have hope before us. Um, we have joyful warriors of the trenches. If you look to the left or the right, and that's one of the reasons we do this podcast is just to connect some of those dots across the globe. We've got some people in the spiritual trenches with us, and we very much can advance. We really can claim ground and advance and advance a kingdom, and that's what we're called to do. And we don't know exactly how things play or when things end. All we know is we're charged to be faithful. That's really good for us to to wrap up on. How how can people, if they want to learn more about what you're doing, learn more about your ministry, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, you can search me on uh, YouTube, Jamie Bambrick, which Jamie Bambrick. So I say Jamie and everyone thinks it's Jamie, but Jamie Bambrick. Um, I don't have an accent, by the way. This is the way God intended English <laughs> to be spoken. Um so everybody else has an accent, but Northern Irish is the right one. Uh, so you can do that on YouTube or you can do the same on the platform formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. So check out uh, anything there. And uh, yeah, and you can check us out uh, in uh, Hope Church in Craig Alvin. Just put that into Google. It's wearehope.church as well is our URL. So uh, I preach there about once a month and our pastor preaches there a couple of times a month. And uh, we have we have another speaker in there, one in four. So yeah, if they want to want to follow anything, that'd be great. We'll we'll link, like I said, to our to all that in our show notes. I think I did see that you have a book out there, the coming Ulster Revival. Is that something that people could get it, their hands on? They can if you're interested. I so I wrote that a couple of years ago after coming back to to Northern Ireland. Yeah, I I wrote a book on essentially. So it's a it's a look at Ulster, which is Northern Ireland, or functionally the same thing as Northern Ireland. Um, and yeah, yeah, that wrote a, wrote a book on that. So if if any of your audience are interested in my take on, it's basically looking at sort of the Northern Irish Christian history, and then a look at the future ahead. Um, and and what I believe we need uh, to see um, happen here. So yeah, that is my passion ultimately at the core. I mean, I, I obviously it's great to have have discussions with people around the world. I, I want to see God do something here. I'm slight. I, I want to see God do stuff everywhere. Yeah. I want to see Him do stuff here, though. That's that's what really sure. uh, is is my um, what excites me in in my ministry. I want to see something happen here. I I, I do believe that. Northern Ireland it has the potential to be one of those places that is different. Um, and that's because of of the culture that we're in and the openness here. Lots of challenges, really significant challenges. Um, but at the same time, I, I think there's there's a history here and a legacy of that. So Irish monks were the ones at the fall of the Roman Empire, many of them actually from Northern Ireland that went and essentially were a big part of re-evangelizing Europe um, mm. whenever 
a lot of Christianity was was on the retreat, and it was the land of saints and scholars. And so I'm kind of like, yeah, we could. Why not? Why not have another go? See what could happen there. So if anyone's interested in that from a Northern Irish perspective, yeah, you can check out that book, uh, and it's available on Amazon. Yeah, it's a, a Kindle Direct Publishing one. So yeah, you can get that wherever you are. We will we will put a link into that and. I think it's great that we examine our history, both locally and globally, reclaiming our Christian history and our heritage. And so much of that is a black hole. So that's excellent. We'll do that. And one of the reasons I think Jamie's so effective as a communicator is his his humor. I think humor is a powerful weapon in this spiritual war, and he's a you're a funny guy. Um, but I did notice that on your book, when I checked it out earlier, um, you mentioned that or it lists that it was published by the J.B. Bambrick World International Mega Ministries with its own dedicated publishing house. That was awesome. Yeah, that was class, classic. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, the subtitle the subtitle there is one that may not travel well. It says, Saving Northern Ireland and the West for the glory of God and for the crack, which is a Northern Irish term for, like, fun. Like, so <laughs> we do it for the glory of God and because it'll be good crack, good fun. Mm-hmm. So it's spelled C-R-A-I-C. So That's what we need. That, we need like, joyful warriors. Yeah, right. We'll do yeah. That. Amen. Well, thank you so much for sharing some of your day with us. This is no doubt going to bless a lot of our listeners in many different parts of the world. So we'll be praying for you guys. I hope that we can have you back on at some point and check in on how things are going in Northern Ireland and just with the, the ministry that you're doing. I'd love to. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. All right. God bless you, Jamie. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.